Thank you for tuning in to Stories from the Market, a program of people sharing the threads that bind us together in the tapestry of life. Stories from the Market is a broadcast companion to the monthly storytelling concert series put on by storyteller Jeanette Waddell in the Milledgeville Allied Arts. In these next two editions of Stories from the Market, we're going to meet the folks behind the Oasis Family Farm. Tonight, we'll get introduced to the family by matriarch Candy Fortney and hear about the life journey that led her to a little piece of paradise in Hancock County. In next week's episode of Stories from the Market, we'll hear the stories of more members of the Oasis Family Farm. But right now, I'm going to cede the floor to the master of ceremonies in our live events, storyteller Jeanette Waddell. I'm very, very excited about uh, this month's storytelling. We're doing something a little different. Uh, we have one family here to tell one story about finding a way of life that they call paradise. So this is the Oasis family. They have the Oasis family farm, and Oasis is not their name, <laughs> although I always call them the Oasis family. And they will introduce themselves. But we will now have our vocalist, Sherry Morrison, and uh, this time I actually asked her at least a week before. <laughs> Usually I wait until 10 minutes before we're starting to ask. So please, welcome Sherry Morrison. <laughs> I lost track of time. I ran in here like a windstorm. I'm going to take a breath. <sighs> and uh, I know this crew, so... <laughs> Uh, the song I picked, I might sing it and run out the door, but <laughs> I'm just going to take a breath. <sighs> okay, so, well, we're moving on up to the east side, to that deluxe apartment in the sky high. Move, moving on up to the east side. Well, we finally got our piece of the pie. Well, fish don't burn in the kitchen, but beans don't burn on the grill. Took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill. Now we're up in the big leagues, getting our turn at bat. Long as we live, you and me, baby, Ain't nothing wrong with that. Well, we're moving on up to the east side, to that deluxe apartment in the sky high. Move, moving on up to the east side. Well, we finally got our piece of the pie, yeah. <laughs> Well, Sherry, that was a, a perfect song. And you know what I love about that more than anything? Hancock County is the place that they're moving on up to. <laughs> Thank you, that was, that was really wonderful. Well, our first storyteller is Candy Fortney. 
there are not enough superlatives to introduce Candy. She is a descendant of Daniel Boone. And that pioneering spirit is what we see on display today. It takes a great deal of courage to say to your family, there's a better way. There's a different way. Trust me. We'll work it out. They trusted her. They are working it out. And we are so thrilled to have Candy here with us this evening. And I am even more thrilled that they call Hancock County, Georgia home. Welcome, Candy. Thank you so much, Jeanette. And thank you all for coming today. Before I get started, I would like to introduce to you the family members that live with us on the Oasis, the um, courageous beings that decided to drop everything, leave everything that we'd ever known behind, and come live in Sparta, Georgia. So first and foremost is, um, is my husband, John. Now, John and I have only been married for going on 14 years now. You sit down. Stand up for a minute. <laughs> And, um, and I tell you, when I, when I say that he is who I was supposed to do this journey with, it is the absolute truth. He is much younger than I am, but he helps keep me younger and helps remind me to think younger um, amongst all these other people that I call my children. Um, the first man in my life, the first man in my children's life is Evan, and um, he was my first husband, and he helped create them as young little beings and we have remained friends even after a divorce he is what i consider one of my true best friends and um to this day we still have conversations to decide what to do with this group <laughs> and then after that is my oldest daughter jessica and um she was the first of my soulmates that came from my body and um she was the first one to let me know what it is to be truly loved and, and the first one to say mama. And then after that is um, my daughter Brandy, who is my little mini-me most of the times in different things. We look a lot alike. Jessica has the mama version of us and of me, and Brandy has my, uh, I'm gonna get down over here and sneak around and get into stuff. <laughs> she could hide candy and eat it in front of me and I would never know it. <laughs> My um, next child is Evan, and he is not here. He doesn't live with us here on the farm. But my um, baby child is Sean, and he is the baby of the family. And like his baby son, Connor, back there with his wife, Ashley, shares the same kind of joy and laughter that made us all love him so much from the minute he got here on the planet. And for the first, I'd say, three years of his life, I didn't get to hold him very much. Brandy and Jesse held him all the time. They shared a brother. <laughs> Um, so that is um, Sean's wife and son Connor back there. Brandy's husband Brian was one of the first in-laws that came into our family. Uh, he started living with us, <laughs> I think Brandy was 15 when he came into our lives and started calling me mom. And he's um, turned into quite the photographer and he does all the video history of our family and keeps um, Brandy inspired in her art with his fantastic photos that he takes of our farm. Then there's um, Christian. 
And Christian was married to my oldest daughter, Jessica. He's our um, final speaker today besides um, all of us. And even though him and Jessica are no longer together, he is still an integral part of our family because he is CJ's father first, and he's our family. And we have loved him from the time he was, uh, what, Christian, 19? When did you come in? 24. Okay, so we've been together for quite a long time, and we know each other very, very well. So, of course, when we decided to make this journey, we had to do it all together or not at all. So um, I will be reading part of my story, as will most of us, because the story is quite intense. I will take you all to a place in my childhood that's not very pretty at all, but is what created the drive in me, this need, this thing for things to not be the way that it was when I was growing up and perhaps maybe the way some of you grew up. And um, so as I tell my story, I ask you to forgive me if I begin to weep because I will. Um, that's just part of who I am. And, um, and my children will help take over if I can't speak, if I become overcome, they will help me get back on track. So some of it I will read, some of it I will give you antidotes on, stuff like that. But um, at the end, we're perfectly thrilled to have you ask us questions. And um, when we have some time, for you to ask us whatever it is, and we are <laughs> always willing to answer questions. You just heard Candy Fortney introducing the different members of the Oasis family farm. On these next two episodes of Stories from the Market, we'll learn more about Candy, her family, and the little plot of land in Hancock County that has grown into an oasis for one family that had the courage to question life, the way we live it, and took a chance on the dream of living off the land together on a farm in central Georgia. We began our program with Master of Ceremonies Jeanette Waddell and Sherry Morrison, our official vocalist for Stories from the Market's live events. Next, Candy tells us about the life that led her to look for a better way. Some members of our audience will find parts of Candy's story challenging, and I do advise some listener discretion. But despite the trials Miss Fortney has faced and overcome, her story speaks to what's possible when you don't mistake the way things are for the way they should be. Sharing the story Awakening, we welcome back Candy Fortney. The beginning of my life was not at all pretty. On the outside, it was beautiful. It was perfect. Meeting my parents, you would not hear us. You would only notice three perfect little children, silent and polite, speaking only when spoken to. Now you may have thought, oh, what wonderful, respectful children they are. <sighs> Look at all their manners. For you see always that we replied with yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and thank you, and please. I can assure you this was not respect, it was terror. For we all three knew what would happen as soon as no one was around. As soon as we would enter the car, the silence and the fake smiles would disappear. And however long the ride was, we were told how terrible we were and what punishment awaited us when we arrived home. To bed with no dinner or spanking, punishment awaited our arrival at home. This was my young childhood. These were my teachers. I know I have always known my greater higher power. The creator spirit is how I speak to God. But without the guide to listen to, I'm not sure any of you would be here to listen to our story, for it would be a very, very dark and guarded secret. 
My teachers taught me how damaging secrets were in a family. They taught me how hard it was on children not to feel loved. They taught me what it feels like to feel like you have no power over your life and that when you cannot turn to your own family, then you have no foundation. They taught me what it felt like not to have hope and not to have joy and not to trust anyone. My father, a trusted man in our community, even a member of the Elks Club, he worked for the Sheriff's Department. My mother, she was from a decent family, pretty well off. They owned a road construction business up here in Waycross, but they had secrets. I was a big one. I had no idea until my mother passed away that she was pregnant with me long before her and my father married. And folks, this was 1960. I was born into their lives under fear and disgust and shame. I was not the cherished first baby. I was the reason my parents had to get married. I was their chain to one another. They had no intention of becoming married, but in those days, absolutely, they had no choice. And my mother, not quite 18, it's what you did. Now what I'm about to tell you is delicate, but harsh reality of how I became the woman now that you see here. But understand, I have had to tell this my whole life out of fear. Now I tell you, so you may know how I was awakened and began the process of changing. My very first memory of my parents was a Sunday morning and my baby brother and I were up. My mother was making breakfast and um, she had asked me to put my brother's training pants on because you know back then there weren't any of these disposable diapers so there had to be training pants put on. So we're running through the house and he was probably a little bit bigger than Connor and I'm, I'm, we're laughing and giggling because he's running for me and I just think he's the cutest thing there ever was. And my father who was home and normally wasn't because normally he was on the ship, he was in the Navy, he was home. He flew out of the bedroom and he began to beat us with a belt. On our tiny little legs, he beat us. My mother screaming and coming to our aid. And my dad just had no, no tolerance for us, no wanting of us because my mother had gotten pregnant and had a second child and he didn't want the first. So, not long after that is when I remember the first molestations. Small and appropriate touches that are what I'm allowing myself to remember until 10. And then it was secret time. As he said, don't tell mama. She'll get mad. Then came more shame into me. And it increased over time as my father lost jobs and found me more and more. Secrets and lies and more and more shame. All along the way, God, my great spirit found me and talk to me and tell me, it's gonna be okay. One day this will not be your life. One day this will not be where you live. And so it was that one day on my TV set, what would come on but Little House on the Prairie. Now there was a family I could get behind, right? <laughs> I would run through the fields screaming, pa, pa, to have a father like that. Michael Landon, I was like, sign me up. I wanna be adopted. <laughs> and right behind that came the Waltons. The Waltons, y'all. How many of y'all? Good night, John Boy. We all said that. <laughs> so that became my dream family. That's what I wanted. That's what I knew how I would raise my family. Now I just had to get them. 
because that's what I was going to do. My family was going to be like that. I was going to be one of the mothers that were in the kitchen feeding her children. And there was going to be a father that was protecting her children. There was going to be a father that loved his children. And the hugs that came from that father were of just love without lust. So, lo and behold, I meet Evan. And um, thank goodness I meet Evan. Because at the time, my parents still had a lot of control over me. And um, if it wasn't for Evan, at the time that he came in, I don't, I don't know where I would have ended up. Because when he came into my life, we started dating. And my parents said, you can't stay out so late. You have to either move in with him or you have to stop seeing him. Well, of course, I moved right on in. <laughs> See ya. So, anyways, let me get back to here. Um, I told my children... Oh, wait. These two shows were my only thread of hope. As time went on, I was able to break my silence and tell the tale of abuse in my family. I told my children my secrets. I held them close and made them each other's best friend. Even over their love for me and their father, I chose the best man I could to be their father and raised them in a home full of love and joy and laughter. I did not want my children to fear home. I wanted them to receive hugs that were full of safety and trust. Now all this I tell you, I was not perfect. I made mistakes and things I regret. But in them I found my true family. I found something I never had. I got to see how children can love a father unconditionally as he himself was a human and nothing more. <laughs> he could love them. I found people I could trust with my heart and love me unconditionally. I found a place to call home. Now all the while, much too quickly, they were growing up. They grew into these beautiful beings in front of you. And all the while, we stayed close. Some or all of them, at all times, living with me or one another as we went through life's trials. One day, all at once, they were all in their own homes and they were gone. It broke me. It broke my spirit. It broke my heart and it broke my will. For they had what, had what I had held on to in my childhood and into the being of a 50-year-old woman. Imagine being in love with your children in your mind as a child and waiting for them to come be home and having them, oh my God, the joy and the love and the pure being in love. Once they got here from my body, now they were beginning a different journey on paths without me. I was left behind in my own mind. It was a trap. I split from their father when I was 36. The life we shared was not enough for me. I felt as if I had been a good girl all my life and I needed to see the dark parts of me to know me. He had been a safe place for me and is my true dearest friend. We love each other to this day and find our relationship to be more than we ever dreamed. I met John online. Well, he found me first and began writing. He had had a brain injury and was living in South Florida for treatments. I had been praying for someone new to come into my life, someone to love me as I needed and could see me all aspects and still love me. So many miracles have happened in my life, always heralding changes to come. And here was the next one in line. We met in March face to face in 2003 and we're married two months later. <laughs> Our relationship was extremely difficult at first because of John's disabilities. And what I, when I 
discovered was a broken heart made manifest. He had lost his own children after a traumatic brain injury. It changed his personality, and for me, I did not know him any different. Got some notes here. He was alive, and that was the first biggest miracle, was that he was alive from that injury. And then on top of it, to find out that he also had dilated cardiomyopathy, which it kills you. It comes without warning, and most people only live five years after diagnosis. And I want y'all to know today, John's 15 years post-diagnosis. There's more to his story later in this. But just to let you know, his sacrifice of that family that he had then and moving into ours is what gave us our Oasis family farm. Back to me. Sorry. Yes. No, no. My health began to fail right after me and John were together. Badly. I went from being active and being a vet tech for over... 20 years, handling animals, picking them up, moving around, standing on my feet for 10 hours a day, to basically being bedridden for four years. The kid's father and my oldest daughter, Jessica, they were living together at the time and knew that I was having such a hard time with my health and then I was also dealing with John's health. And they said that we should come live with them. How big are their hearts? We should come live with them. My ex-husband with my new husband and my daughter, and we did it. We did it. They became quite good friends. There was pain, massive pain now, but again, I had my family to love and support us with love. Eventually, it was all time for us to move to homes in Middleburg, Florida. It's where we raised the kids in as much country as possible. It was less than two acres. <laughs> we have 43 now. But we had animals and gardens. When I turned 49, my mother, whom had been estranged almost all my adult life, passed away. I had to be the child that collected her life as she had left it and move it all into my home. This was the final straw, I believe, for not long after I began to crave death. I could not bear this pain of being without my soulmates, the very beings that saved me, they were where I went in my head as my father breathed into my ears and called me to his room. And now they were gone, leaving me alone to begin where and to do what. Yes, I wanted to leave. Now I felt there was nothing left, nothing to do. I was adrift and my heart was broken and my soul was lost and quiet. This is when they came, my beautiful children. They began to talk amongst themselves and knew I needed help or I would soon leave them. I became very ill. The girl sought out new ways of treating me, a way of healing my mind and my soul, and this is where my illnesses came from. I was ready to die. My heart broken, my spirit adrift. You see, I really did not ever feel alive until I had my children, and now, without them, I was nothing. There was nothing, not even loving. My new husband was enough. They decided and chose to step in and show me, and by healing my soul and my spirit, my body would naturally follow suit. Reiki. If you've never heard of it, Google it. Yep, with light and crystals and stones and all positive things and healing energies, they began to do these sessions where they played soothing Celtic music, and recently we found out we're part Scottish. <laughs> um, 
And, uh, and I meditated. Wow, what a way to heal. I began to feel much better. I felt my spirit awaken in me, something louder and bigger than ever. I felt love from inside myself. And y'all, for the first time, I felt from inside me that I could love me. I wasn't all shame. I wasn't all guilt. There was something about me that was special and wonderful. And there had to be something special about me that was wonderful because I could create them. I felt love from inside myself. And then came the dreaming again. I wanted more for my children. I wanted to leave them something, something they could feel safe and raise their families like the Waltons. <laughs> and not on a prairie, but on as much land as they could use to become whoever they wanted to be. I needed to give them a legacy. Their father and I had had very little in the way of finances for our family. We were rich in all other areas, joy and love and hope. So how would this dream come true? We had no idea. We just dreamed and moved. I listened to my spirit again, telling me, combine what you have. Get what you all need. Wake up and see all the possibilities there are. And so I knew, I really knew we had to live as one unit again, combining our resources into one place and creating, creating whatever we wanted. Oh, my God. One electric bill and one house payment. The future was right there in front of us. All we had to do was trust in our creator and one future. Now to convince the kids. <laughs> Jessica had went on a retreat up in the mountains with women. It changed her. Brandy was researching the internet about our food and with our newfound spiritual practices, we all woke up at about the same time. We knew we had to change now. We had to make sure our lives count. We had to become something and something else for our family and the ones to come for our future. So we bought large tents, two bedroom sized tents, one for Jessica and one for me. And we moved into Brandy's backyard. And that's where we lived from December, temperatures as low as 28 degrees until May with temperatures as high as 104. Day and night, we would help each other out inside the home, but at nighttime, me and Jessica and our spouses retreated to our tents, and we loved it. We absolutely loved it because, which you'll hear further in our other stories, we all imagined that that's what we were gonna do. We were gonna go live on some virgin land in tents. <laughs> so we were just getting ready. We had been praying and we had been in faith and in agreement with God for seven months. Thirteen years after John's injury, and many times they had tried to get us to settle for very little money, always imagining that John would die because of John's heart. The company where he had worked, he was working on a train car loading steel, and one minute he was up on a ladder and the very next moment he was slung across the room and hit the concrete. They asked to make traveling 60 miles an hour. That he even survived to get to the hospital was the first miracle of it. And that he finally made it to my life. I don't know how many miracles happened. Now John wasn't perfect. He did suffer a lot of, a lot of things and a lot of stuff that they had told him was wrong with him. That we have decided the Oasis has healed. And he will agree with that. 
He's not angry anymore. Doesn't feel like he's lost anything anymore. In fact, he's, he's gained so much more ten times over, which is what we're promised, right? Whatever we lose, whatever's taken away, will be given back ten times over tenfold. And you will endure, which we have more than endure. We have more than survived. We have thrived. So now we find ourselves, we are awake, and we can't go back. We had to move. That was Candy Fortney sharing the story Awakening about how she found a little piece of paradise on the Oasis family farm in Hancock County. Her story was part of the storytelling concert, The Oasis Family Farm, One Family Making a Change. And it was recorded live at the Allen's Market in March 2017. If you enjoyed our program tonight, please consider coming out for our next live event, which will take place at 2 p.m. Sunday, April 23rd in the Allen's Market in downtown Milledgeville. The next storytelling concert will follow the theme, Finding Wisdom in Unusual Places. Stories from the Market is a co-production of Milledgeville Allied Arts, storyteller Jeanette Waddell, and WRGC 88.3 FM. Tonight's program was produced for radio by yours truly, Daniel McDonald. Thank you for spending a portion of your evening with us here on WRGC 88.3 FM. I hope to hear you soon.